Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Once you found it, if you're able, would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? Luke records for us, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of God. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, from these verses this morning, I'll preach from the title, Humble Joy. Humble Joy. Anybody seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Anybody? Okay, good. My sermon illustration last week, there was only one person who had ever read the book, so... Um, let me know when you find uh, Miss Beverly. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, okay, so toward the, the, the end of the last movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, after uh, all of the battles have been fought and won, everyone gathers for the coronation of the King of Gondor. As Aragorn walks out to meet his people for the very first time as their king, the four small hobbits who have each played a central role in saving the world begin to bow before the king. But as they do, Aragorn, dressed in his royal splendor, stops them and says gently, My friends, you bow to no one. And then the victorious, triumphal king gets down on his knee and bows his head to his four companions. And as they look on with awe and surprise, the rest of the massive crowd does the same until only the four unsuspecting and humble hobbits remain standing. Now, I'll admit that this scene usually brings a lump to my throat. There's something about this great reversal, the conquering and majestic king stooping to the ground before the least impressive figures in the entire crowd. Something about that is deeply moving to me. It's not how our world typically works. We see something similar when Mary travels to visit Elizabeth in this passage. Another reversal captured in Elizabeth's humble and joyful response to her much younger relative. Elizabeth blessed Mary for her son and for her faith. Now, whether you've been a Christian for your entire life or you're still exploring what it means to follow Jesus, I would imagine that all of us are susceptible to overlooking just how surprising Elizabeth's response to Mary was. We're so accustomed to the main Christmas characters, the announcing angels, the terrified shepherds, the awestruck magi. 
that we might miss how special and instructional this quieter moment in the story is. So today, for the next few minutes, let's allow Elizabeth to show us how to receive the news that God has entered the world as a vulnerable infant. And how does she instruct us? If Elizabeth were here, I think she might say something like this. Welcome Jesus humbly with joy. Welcome Jesus humbly with joy. Now, Elizabeth in this passage is the superior character. She is the elder. She is a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. She herself is married to the priest Zechariah. Everything about her in comparison to Mary makes her the superior character in this story. This is something that Mary herself recognized. It's why she made the 70-mile trip to Elizabeth and not the other way around. Now, the angel who had come to Mary telling her that she would give birth to the Messiah had told her that Elizabeth was pregnant, but the angel didn't tell her that she should go and visit Elizabeth. That was a, a long journey for someone so young and vulnerable to make. But Mary does this out of her own volition, in part at least to pay respect and honor to her elder relative. I remember a few years ago being at the, uh, the book launch of one of my good friend and mentor's book. And there was about 100 or 150 people there, and the night was great. It was really fun, and then things started to wind down. And, and I was one of the last few people there. My mentor was talking to some, some folks who were lingering and wanting to talk about the book. And I looked across the room, and there was a friend of mine, a, another pastor. So I walked over to him, and I said, are, are you on your way out? Are you heading home? And he said, you know, I, I've known this, this woman who was also a mentor to, to my friend. And, and he said, a, a while ago I committed that I would never leave before she left. That as long as she were in the room, I would stay with her in case she needed anything, in case there was anything I could do for her. It is my commitment to make sure that, that she leaves this place and gets to her car safely and on her way safely. I think this is sort of the, the, the spirit of, of our passage here. There's, there's a sense of, of honor and respect that Mary brings to this relationship with Elizabeth. After all, Elizabeth is having a child in her old age. Mary is much younger at the time when it would be expected that she would have a child. So again, she is going to show respect in this way to her Elder. We, we know these natural hierarchies. We, we, we know these sort of unspoken expectations about who honors who and who respects who and who pays homage to who. We, we know how the world works, and sometimes it's fine, it's good, as with Mary and Elizabeth, as with my friend honoring uh, his mentor, and, and sometimes it's wobbly. Sometimes it slides into dysfunction, into hierarchies which end up oppressing and marginalizing others. How does this work for you? How do you move through a world that falls naturally into these hierarchies? How do you size up a room when you walk into it? How do you figure out where you should sit? How do you try to figure out who's the person with the most status? Who's the person in charge? What's your response once you figure out who that person is? How do you figure out how you fit into these spaces and these places? 
Do you go against the flow? Do you find yourself falling into it? Mary, the passage tells us, enters the room and she greets Elizabeth. Again, understandable. An act of honor, an act of respect. Of course, this is what the younger Mary would do is to greet her more respected elder. But this in the passage is the last time that the acceptable protocols are followed. (laughs) Everything else after this point is topsy-turvy because the passage tells us that it's at this moment when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we are still in this passage at the time when the gift of the Spirit was occasional. It was not poured out on all of God's people. That's still coming at the day of Pentecost. And so God pours out his presence into Elizabeth. And in that moment, Elizabeth realizes that there's more going on here than she expected. She, from this moment on, becomes the one who honors Mary rather than how the story started. And she blesses Mary. She blesses Mary for two reasons. First, for mothering Jesus. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Elizabeth says, who is also my Lord. Elizabeth recognizes that that Mary is carrying Israel's Messiah, all of Israel's hopes and dreams and expectations right there in front of her, in her younger relative's presence. So, of course, she will honor. Of course, she will pay homage. Of course, she's excited because all of Israel's hopes are going to be fulfilled. Perhaps she has in her mind that that, that lyric from Psalm 80 and 2, stir up your might and come to save us. And maybe Elizabeth is thinking, it's happening. He's coming to save us. Our God is going to keep his promises. So Elizabeth blesses Mary for burying the Messiah, but she also blesses Mary for her faith. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Here we hear echoes of Mary's response to the angel in verse 38. After the angel explained how this would all happen, she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary accepted the angel's promise in faith, and Elizabeth honors her for it. And again, from this moment, everything gets confusing. Everything does not go according to accepted plan and protocol. Elizabeth sees clearly what's happening, and she asks, why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. Elizabeth sees the reversal. Elizabeth sees the surprise. She's no longer the gracious host receiving her relative. She is now the humble worshiper in the presence of the Messiah. You have heard me talk about Sankofa, if you've been around at all for any length of time, a bus trip that Uh, Many of us have made with our denomination where we visit different civil rights uh, sites in the American South. And and on the the first morning, after driving in the bus all night long, we wake up in Birmingham, Alabama. And Susan, you've been on the trip. Warren, you've been on the trip. You remember what it feels like to, you you don't really sleep, so you're tired. 
and you're hungry, and you might be a little ornery, and you, and, and you walk into this small little corner restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama, and there at the door is a, is a woman who could be many of, of, of your uh, grandmothers. And she's standing there welcoming, and people are polite when they come in. They say hi, but really what you want is the bathroom and the breakfast and to stretch your legs and to be out of that bus. And then as we eat our breakfast, the same woman stands up and she begins to tell her story. And we learn that Minister Jean was a child during the Children's March in Birmingham, Alabama. That she sat under the preaching and teaching of people like Ralph Abernathy and Dr. Martin Luther King. That she was chased by the dogs and that she was pinned against a tree by the, the, water, the, the water from the fire hoses tearing away at her skin. And I've had the great fortune to listen to her stories many, many times. And, and I always like looking around the room as Minister Jean is telling her story because, because what happens is, is that the people in the room, the people who were on the bus, realize whose presence they are in. They understand that the, the greeter at the door is more than they had expected. And so now when we, when we leave, when we have to get back on the bus, rather than just politely nodding, there's a long line of people waiting to talk to Minister Jean. And they want to say something to her. They want to thank her. They want to pray for her. They want to get a selfie with her. And we have to say, we got to go. we got to get going now. But they can see her for who she really is. And so their engagement with her shifts dramatically. Elizabeth realizes whose presence she's in, and everything changes for her. I would describe this as the humbling power of Jesus, the humbling power of Jesus. In, in that power, Elizabeth steps down, and Mary is lifted up. In the presence of the humbling power of Jesus, the, the one with more status, with more power, with more honor, steps down. And the, the, the lowly one, the, 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 the humiliated one, the, the, the one without the access to the prestige and the honor is lifted up. This is unlike any other king or lord. This is certainly unlike being in the presence of Herod, the, the king who everybody would have known in that day, the, the violent and oppressive king who, who murdered his own family members. Other kings and lords reinforced the hierarchies for their own benefit. But in the presence of Jesus, there is a humbling power which invites the powerful to step down and lifts up the humble. We hear it in Mary's words in the song that she will sing following this passage. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In the humbling presence of Jesus, some of us will step down and others of us be lifted up. The Holy Spirit had to fill Elizabeth for her to realize whose presence she was in. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are already filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? We already know whose presence we are in. But, but oftentimes, and perhaps especially this time of year, we are too busy. Things are too hectic. There is too much noise for us to pay attention 
to the Christ in whose presence we are. And so I'd ask you this morning, have you been humbled lately by Jesus? Has the humbling power of Jesus rearranged your life lately? Is the Holy Spirit inviting you to step down or to be lifted up in any way? Now, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to give us the gift of silence for a couple of minutes. I'm not done with my sermon. Don't get excited. i got a couple more things to say. But I want to pause right here. And I want to ask us to, to listen to the Spirit's voice. If the humbling presence of Jesus is here right now, then what is the Spirit's invitation? Are there places for you in your life where in the, in the presence of Jesus' humbling presence, you're being asked to step down from some things, to relinquish some things, to pass on some things, to allow others to take your place. Or perhaps you've been flattened by the Herods of this world. You've been run over by the Herods of this world. Perhaps there is some place where the spirit of the living God, the humbling presence of Jesus, is lifting you up. So um, the next few minutes, just in quiet reflection and prayer, could we each ask ourselves, how is Jesus humbling me today? Lord Jesus, would you show us how you are wanting to rearrange our lives around your your humbling presence. Amen. Now, I don't know what your experience of listening for that might be. I don't, I don't know what your emotional response to the invitation to humble yourself might, might be, but, but let me suggest that when we, when we are humbled in the presence of Jesus, part of the experience will always involve joy. Part of the experience of being humbled, at least part of the experience, will always involve joy. Now, now we probably, many of us, don't always associate humility and joy. But Elizabeth, she is joyful. Her whole body is joyful. The, the, the child she is carrying is filled with joy. The child, she says, in my womb leaped for joy at the sound of your greeting. Now, again, we might wrestle with this because to be humbled can, can feel like being humiliated. And frankly, in the presence of Jesus, the dysfunctional ways that we have seen ourselves and seen others becomes very clear. You start to see your pride. We start to see our self-loathing, our self-hatred. And we might expect to experience some shame when being humbled by Jesus. Sort of like that um, television show, I think it's called Undercover Boss. Has anybody seen this, this show or heard about it? Right, so the boss dresses up like an average ordinary employee and goes to work with all the other average ordinary employees. 
And then at the end of the show, there's the reveal. It's like, oh, your boss has been there the whole time. And the employee starts to get nervous, you know, like, oh, what did I say to, to, to him or her? Was I on my best behavior? Was I working real, real hard? And, and I think for some of us, that can be sort of the emotional instinct, recognizing that we're in the presence of Christ. Might there be some shame that comes up? Because we know who we are. Our stuff, our sin is exposed in us. But you see, Elizabeth can rejoice in the presence of Jesus because she understands that the Messiah has come to save, not to shame her. Stir up your might and come to save us. And this overwhelms everything else for Elizabeth. The Savior has come. Sure, I'm exposed. Sure, all my stuff is known. But the Savior has come. We will be rescued. Maybe she has an echo of Micah chapter 5 in her head here. And they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. What's not to rejoice about that? So, so as you make space to be in the presence of the humbling Jesus, pay attention to where those places of shame come up, because that's not the humbling presence of Jesus, amen? That's something else that you can set aside. Friends, again, what would Elizabeth say to us? Maybe simply welcome Jesus humbly and with joy. Has this world elevated you at somebody else's expense? Does the privilege of your ability or your gender or your race or your education or your class or fill in the blank give you entrance into rooms that others can only wish for? Let Jesus humble you that you might step down into his grace. Have you been flattened or made small by a world obsessed with power and prestige? Have you been told that shame is the forever consequence of your sin? Then let Jesus humble you that you might be lifted into his grace. We're not particularly accustomed to humbling ourselves in this culture. Would you agree? It's not really an American value, is it? We might be good at diminishing ourselves, downplaying ourselves, doubting ourselves, but humbling ourselves before the Christ child, this is something totally different. We are used to being humiliated, put down, slandered by voices louder than our own, but humbling ourselves before the incarnate Son of God is something else entirely. We've gotten pretty good at selling ourselves, at elevating, promoting, hyping, defending, protecting ourselves. So the Holy Spirit's pull to humble ourselves cuts deeply against the instincts that we've cultivated for a long time. So here again, Elizabeth's humility-soaked exclamation. And how? Has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Can you hear the harmony in her voice? The fear and trembling 
resonating with praise, the awe tangled up with celebration, the submission woven together with freedom, the I'd better take off my shoes because this is holy ground flowing into, oh, I'm coming to church this morning with my praising shoes on because God has been good to me. Do you hear the humility tuning up in the key of joy in Elizabeth's voice? Would you make some room in these last Advent days of holy longing to welcome Jesus humbly and with joy? On this Sunday, on the the last Sunday we will gather together for worship in 2021, I want to testify that every humbling before the Messiah, no matter how uncomfortable, leads to the joy of the Lord. That, that, that every bow before him, no matter how low, raises you in exaltation. That every submission to his will, no matter how countercultural or strange, fosters your resilient cry of praise. That every single renunciation of the power-grabbing Herods of our day, no matter how costly to you, shelters you in the shadow of his salvation. That every disavowal of your ability to save yourself, no matter how humbling that confession, lifts you again and again into the grace of the Lord who has come to us. How has it happened that our Lord would come to us? But it has. It has happened. And the only right and the only reasonable response is to bow before him with complete humility, only to find ourselves lifted to him in complete and utter joy. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your presence, which humbles which humbles not just us, but the universe itself, which humbles the lowly and lifts them, which humbles the proud and invites us to step down. Oh, God, you are good. In Jesus, we have all things. You have spared nothing of your goodness from us. So humble us. Lord Jesus, in these next days, pull from our humility the joy of our salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.